0: Hey, Kryptonauts, Jeff here. I'm excited to release today's episode with our biggest guest to date, the guy literally known as the Bitcoin Messiah, Dr. Patrick Byrne. Dr. Byrne is the CEO of that little $2 billion company, Overstock.com, and is also executive chairman of T-Zero, probably the most anticipated security token exchange that's coming out. In today's episode, we discuss how security tokens will completely change the face of capital formation, How Patrick's battle with cancer led him to get a PhD in philosophy, and how he's working with the World Bank and using land titles to make the governments and economies of some countries in Africa and the Caribbean even more advanced than those in North America and Europe. It's a really awesome episode, so I hope you enjoy. As I mentioned in a previous episode, we're now introducing a Patreon page so that we can keep up with the costs we incur in bringing you all kinds of crypto goodness. For you cryptonauts who love the podcast and want to get even more awesome content, consider becoming a supporter of the show. For those of you who don't know, Patreon is essentially a monthly subscription service that allows you to support projects like podcasts. In addition for becoming a supporter, you'll have exclusive access to full-length interviews and bonus content. For example, in this episode, you'll get access to the full hour-long interview that we had with Dr. Byrne, in which he discusses when and how Bitcoin will overtake fiat currency, what gives Bitcoin value, and perhaps what I found to be the most interesting, what it was like to be the most hated man alive in January 2007. So if you're interested in supporting our show, don't listen to this episode. Just go straight to our Patreon page to get the premium version of this episode at patreon.com backslash a That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash a bit cryptic. We'll also be releasing a YouTube version of this episode for those of you who want to see Dr. Byrne get interviewed in front of this pretty sweet Pulp Fiction poster that he has in his office. In addition, if you're lucky enough to be listening to this episode within 48 hours of its release, there's a giveaway at the end. So if you want a free Club O membership, make sure you listen to this whole episode. In addition, we'll be giving out conference tickets in our next episode. So please keep your ears peeled for that one because those tickets are worth a lot. And especially if you're in Miami or want to come visit Miami, you're going to want to get your hands on those. All right, let's jump to that interview with Dr. Byrne.
1: You don't have any incentive to improve it. You don't have a piece of paper that you can take and say, let me borrow $2,000 and start a fruit stand." Capitalism never gets going. It's just in quicksand
2: welcome to a bit cryptic podcast where we interview top crypto experts to take you down the rabbit hole into the world of cryptocurrency now it's time to get a bit cryptic
0: We are joined today by Patrick M. Byrne, the man who's been called the Bitcoin Messiah. And he really doesn't need an introduction, but we're going to do it anyway. So Dr. Byrne is CEO of Overstock.com, the e-commerce giant that was voted one of the most trustworthy companies in America in 2014. And in 2017 was valued at about 1.5 to 2.25 billion. And that's just the e-commerce side of it. Dr. Byrne has also been making headlines recently with T-Zero, one of the first security token exchanges which recently closed its security token offering. We're excited to learn from this classic liberal today on a Bitcryptic podcast. So my name is Jeff Peterson. I'm Alain Leong, aka Bitcoin Van Gogh. And welcome. It's good to have you here, Patrick. Very glad. Jeff that.
1: and Bitcoin Van Gogh. It's such an honor to be on your show. Thank you.
0: I really hope you keep calling him Bitcoin Van Gogh. I call him Alain, but... <laughs> I love it. I love That's it. fine.
2: That's fine. You're the one. It's fine.
1: <laughs> well, and if he goes to all that trouble to brand himself as Mr. I'll just call him Mr. Van Gogh then. No, awesome. but yeah,
2: yeah. go, is fine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to transition now to a little bit what you guys are doing um in terms of security tokens and, and exchanges and all that. First let's start for the people in the audience who aren't familiar, what exactly is a security token? Can we discuss a, a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Well, a security token is think of it like an ICO that follows the law. <laughs> ICO only, they follow the law. (laughs) It's a security token. Think of it, it's just like a share of stock. Think of it like that we're selling shares of stock, but they're going to be tokens rather than shares of stock. Now, that's at first glance, but what you can do with a security token is much more than you can do with a share of stock. Remember, if you own a share of stock in a company and there are, say, a million shares, then that... What that means is that when whatever money they make, you're you're making one millionth of. Well, so it's tied to the bottom line of a company. Security tokens are just like shares of stock, only the, the mechanics and technologies token, only they can be made much more sophisticated than just saying, oh, I'll take a share of the bottom line of your company, which means it's going to open up a whole new world of cooperation between People who save and people who uh, and entrepreneurs, and I can give you some examples of, of you want, but I think it's going to revolutionize entrepreneurship in America. Okay, am I, would you like me to walk you through an example, or is that is that good enough?
0: I think it'd be great to walk through an example and kind of give people a visual of uh, of what we're talking about here.
1: Okay, well, there's a company called Elio Cars, E L I O, and I'm not pushing you know I'm just anybody's I C O or anybody's S D O. Okay. Okay, Elio Carr is is an inventor, an American inventor from Detroit, worked with a very high-end design company for 10 years or so. He's invented a car that gets 84 miles to the gallon and costs $7,500 and has a five-star safety rating. It's a two-seat car, front and back. It's brilliant. $7,500, it's so cheap you can actually give it to poor people give them a credit card, a gas card, and say, buy your gas on this with this, and that's the car payments. And every, I mean, it's revolutionary that you can have a car for $7,500. The normal process for someone like him would be to go to Silicon Valley or a venture capitalist and say, he needs $200 million to get this up and in production. So he's going to go see some some venture capitalist who's got to make three decisions. Is there a market for how big the market is there for this kind of a car? Secondly, how big a fraction of that market is this guy, Paul Elio, going to be able to steal? And then once he does do that, and he has revenue, is he able to manage all the other lines on the income statement down to the bottom line, and that I can have a share in? That's the third question. Those are three questions. Suppose instead, Elio Cars comes out with a token that they're selling And the token is once they go into production, they know that there's gonna there's this was the most successfully crowd funded campaign ever, and it's got like sixty-five thousand reservations or something. There's gonna be an there's gonna be when the cars are built, there's gonna be a waiting line for them. So they're gonna take one in six cars that come out of the factory and divert them. And instead of going to the people who've been waiting, they get auctioned. The plate, your place in the auction. The price is still seven thousand five hundred dollars. Your pre place in the auction is determined by how many how many is you bid through through the coins. So people would participate in the security token offering if what they wanted was to buy coins, so that when the car gets introduced, they don't want to wait in line. They want to advance to the front of the line and buy and so forth. I see. But why that's so fascinating to me, you know, it's all about capital allocation and the better society has, the better the mechanism society has to allocate capital correctly, the better off we are. So imagine instead of those three questions that I said the guy in Silicon Valley had to figure out, and what are the chances that some eight-year-old you know, guy working at Silicon Valley Valley can answer those three questions correctly. Instead, if it's out there, Elio, Paul Elio selling the security token, what's phenomenal is the security token, the sale of the security token replaces those three questions because... Whether he can sell the coin or not is a proxy for the first two of the questions. How big is the market and can this guy get a share of the market is answered by can he sell the coin. If he can't sell the coin, the answer to those two is no. If he can sell the can't, the answer to those two is high. And it obviates the need for having to answer the third question. You as the buyer of the token don't have to figure out is Paul Elio going to be able to manage his factory down to the bottom line, all you care about buying the token is that you can advance your place in line for the auction. So it's radically simplified the questions that society have to answer in order to allocate capital. And it's actually created a very good proxy by saying, if you buy the coin, I mean, if you can sell the coin, there's a market for the car. And if you can't sell, so to me, it's going to it's a much more, I think it's going to lead to a better, much better capital allocation mechanism for American entrepreneurs and create a way for people to fund themselves. That model can be applied of using security tokens, like I said, just said, could be applied to building an interstate, it could be applied to pharmaceutical research, it could be applied to building a new apartment house, and who gets to get apartments. And so the point is security tokens ultimately are like, think of them like shares of common stock, only much more intelligent. They don't have to be just a share of the bottom line. They can be tied to all kinds of other things and simpler things than the folk bet on whether a guy can build a company. Sorry if that answer was longer than you hoped. hoped.
0: No, it's great. I think that spells out a lot of the advantages and why there's been so much hype about security tokens recently. A lot of people think this is gonna be like the next big wave of innovation in cryptocurrency. And
1: it's gonna change capital formation. Because yeah. ultimately, you know, all capital formation is a form of cooperation. We savers are going to give you money, Mister Entrepreneur, and this bond or this preferred stock or this common stock. That's really a statement of of how we're going to cooperate. You use the money, and how we we share the, the the results. This is so disruptive. It creates it creates a world where we can have much more forms of cooperation, which are much easier for people to to bet on. Anyway, I think it's going to disrupt. Well, I'll put it this way. The head of NASDAQ, retired Paul Greifeld, said in November that in, how did he put it? He said 100% of the stocks and bonds on Wall Street today could be tokenized. And in five years, 100% will be tokenized. What that means is stocks and bonds, as you know them, in five years, he is saying won't be being issued. All that will be issued is security tokens because security tokens can do anything that a stock and bond can do and about a thousand times more. And because of that flexibility and how you you can build all the code right into algorithms in the coin, that you can have much better deals for investors. Investors and entrepreneurs can have, I think, much more successful arrangements.
0: Talking a little bit more about T0 before we move on. I'm curious, what separates you guys from, say, Temblum or Open Finance who are trying to do similar things and create this security token exchange?
1: People are trying to do similar things. I think we're much farther along. We bought a few years ago a corner of Wall Street that does a, that does routing, so we're wired into the national market system already. We got an ATS, which is a SEC-listed private exchange. It's a dark pool, they call it. And we got permission for it to do blockchain instruments back in 2015, then we don't just talk about this stuff we actually do it we did the world's first private blockchain instrument a 5 million dollar bond with a hedge, with a place called first new york securities or new york securities and then we did a public instrument again not big on wall street standards tiny 13 million dollar offering of a public you know a public blockchain security ostkp and having done that so and that took Tens of millions of dollars. Uh, we're like we're like an icebreaker plowing through this ice field that no one's ever gotten through. Now the guys in the rowboat behind us are gonna have a lot easier time of it. It's a lot right. but the first guy who breaks through that ice field, believe if you knew how many tens of millions of dollars we have spent, you know, on all the regulatory stuff and the legal stuff, the SEC. So, but anyway, we've done a private blockchain security, we got a an S3 through the SEC, a blockchain S3, and then we issued a blockchain S3. And now we're in business with a partnership with Box, Boston Options Exchange. It's one of 13 lit exchanges in the country. And we have a deal where we're creating a, in in Boston, we are creating a a security token exchange. And there's a big advantage to having an exchange over just an ATS. So those are all these things we've gotten since we got our ATS three years ago. Uh, the other people are that you mentioned are trying to get their, an SEC approved or an ATS approved to do blockchain. And we got there three years ago and we've done all these things past it. So oh. that's the answer.
2: So you're way ahead of them, I have more experience. Now, is T0 going to handle uh, primary issuance? Is there going to be a secondary market? Uh, are you going to handle derivatives? That's a big question. What do you think? Yes, to yes,
1: that? and eventually. Yes, yes, and eventually. Cool. Okay.
0: So, one thing I wanted to know is just kind of generally, you've had a lot of success in your career and a lot of people, you know, are wondering kind of how, how you got there. What do you think are the, like some of the most important lessons you've, you've learned throughout your life that have guided your success?
1: Well, first of all, I should make clear, I've had extraordinary tailwinds in my life. I've had the most ridiculous tailwinds in my life that you can imagine. It's silly. My f- Family lived there. My my father was an Air Force ROTC guy, but was an actuary. And my family lived the Horatio Alger dream. So we went from sort of, you know, lower income to affluent over the course of my first twenty years.
0: So for Wait, I had, your father was the founder of Geico, right?
1: Not the founder, but he went. He was an actuary that got hired to run Geico when Geico was going bankrupt in the mid seventies and almost went bankrupt, and by, they couldn't get anyone to run it. And they got my father to run it for what was supposed to be going through bankruptcy. And he, he went down to run. It was much, And he, he took it over and it was much smaller. And he figured out a way to save it. And it was, they had 10,000 people. He said, if we fire 7,000 of them, and if we get out of the state of New Jersey and we raise 70 million more, and he saved Geico. And he, about a month later, he got a phone call that some fellow in Omaha was buying up his stock and wanted to meet him. And so that guy came and met my dad and started staying with us and started teaching me about the world. And I thought he was this farmer who I really did. I thought I was 13. I thought he was this farmer who knew a lot about stocks because he would kind of always made time for me. He would always like send ahead word, I'm going to be there next Tuesday, make sure Patrick takes two hours off of school on Tuesday at one o'clock. And my parents who never let me skip his day of school always let me hang out with this guy and through my teenage years, he taught me a whole bunch of things. And of course, that farmer from Nebraska turned out to be Warren Buffett.
0: Whoa, (laughs) casual, yeah.
1: Well, no one, he didn't, I mean, no one, his name, I don't think it even been in the paper when I know him. He was this very reclusive guy out in Omaha that just seemed, was a wonderful teacher. And we spent, he's had a big formative influence on my life. And I was in college. I was ending college when his name appeared in the paper for the first time, an article he wrote in Barrett. And he started becoming this really famous guy. But until then, he was just, and I worked for him for a time. And he was really my formative, my coach in business.
2: All right. So So
1: first big advantage. And if you want that advantage, read a book by Roger Lowenstein called Buffett, The Making of an American Capitalist, which is, I think, the best book on Buffett and tells him, it tells, I mean, I think that book's like as good as getting an MBA, if you really read that book and absorb it. Because what Buffett is, is not a businessman. He's a guy who figured out the world, he's kind of a philosopher, and then he applied it to business but he really has a lot more to say than just about business. And that's a good book to learn it from.
0: So we'll we'll link that up in the show notes for anyone who wants to read that and get their book-based MBA.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was more than just tailwind, right? I'm sure you have other stories of, of things you've done, you know, to get where you are today.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I worked pretty hard. I worked pretty hard. I had a, an interesting twenties since you're asking my twenties, I got out of college and within a couple of weeks of getting out of college, I had I had sort of crawled through my last six months of college with all these back problems and stuff, which I attributed to. I'd been a college football player, and I thought, geez, everything's hurting and hurt. And anyway, I got through college. It turns out I was filled with cancer. And I actually had cancer three times in my 20s. And I spent most of my 20s, uh, well, I spent three years in hospital, and then I spent years recovering. So really, I didn't have the stamina to do anything but academia—not that academia is easy, but it's easier from a physical point of view—and that's why I got my PhD and ended up in Stanford studying. I was kind of an invalid and going, and that's when I was studying cryptography and such. So I had interesting twenties, and but it did teach me. I'd say actually, when, when I think the uh, of what made me a success, it's been having the right teachers. It's been having the right the right teachers and the right heroes so much of life is having the right heroes which i feel you know society today produces a lot of kids without parent you know without parents and without I don't know, i'm not sure kids are getting the right heroes but if you want to change society you, you change what counts as heroic in it.
2: so thomas soul before we started we talked a little bit about it right and that's one of the things he says that the family is so important and he brings up that having both a mother and a father in a home are, are important and we're not seeing that now um, sort of, I wanted to ask you, what does your Dutch uncle think about all your forays into crypto?
1: Well, he, of course, is, has publicly said, mm-hmm. and we have a deal. I don't talk too much about what he says privately other than the general lessons. But we have a, he thinks it's all a big scam and it's all going to go to, well, he says a bunch of these coins are going to go to zero. And I think he's right. I think 90% are going to go to zero. I think that, but he also says, look, I don't know. Well, what he actually said was, you know, I don't, I don't, know, he, he always prides himself on being anti-technology and the most complicated technology in his office is a yellow legal pad and a pen. <laughs> that's, that's his technology that he was fortunate with. But he does say, "Yeah, you know, Patrick, I don't understand this blockchain stuff, but I talked to Bill and Bill said, this is going to be really big. <laughs> you know who he means by Bill, I take
2: it. Gates, Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: And he's seeing, you know, there's a lot of, what well, you don't want, there are aspects of human nature you don't want to see in the financial world. And that is, that's the hype and the pumps and dumps and, and all the, all the raffy stuff that we have to, that has, we have to be careful about. So when he sees the get rich quick stuff, so he... The underlying technology. He, what he's saying is, he doesn't understand the underlying technology, but Gates does, and Gates knows that this is has told him this is going to be big. But the, the betting on coins and drawing the general public into betting on coins when maybe they don't don't understand, and maybe the people creating the coins are just some guy who put a term paper up on the internet some weekend, and now he raising $20 million. That's pretty dangerous stuff for society. I'm afraid it's going to turn out to be, I hate to sound like an old fogey here. I'm afraid someday that's going to tarnish us like the Mt. Gox and Silk Road stuff did. You know, in the first three or four years I was doing, two or three years I was doing interviews about all this stuff and I'd be explaining blockchain and crypto and how it's going to change the world. Journalists would say, yeah, but isn't Bitcoin used for ecstasy dealing? No. i say, lady, you know, last I checked, U.S. dollars, <laughs> you're extra, doing too, doesn't? But, I mean, we couldn't get people over that. Well, if, all the, if 90% of these coins go to zero, it's going to really stigmatize us again. I and mean, We're going to have some harder, harder work in the future.
2: So he doesn't understand it, right? But Bill does, and you think it's going to revolutionize uh, the world, essentially. And you're into several projects, right? One of them is the um, Medici land governance. Correct. And that, that's been working uh, with the World Bank, if, if I'm not mistaken. And it's creating pilot programs to secure tenure and so on and so forth. Now, that to me seemed a little bit o- almost out of left field for Overstock to have such a subsidiary. I mean, what is it? What is the nature of that? Is it is it philanthropy? Or are you offering? Are you making money off of that somehow? Is it a business? What? How did you get there? And why the name Medici?
1: Okay. Well, we took all of our blockchain efforts and we call them Medici. Medici was a family from Florence who actually traded with the Middle East and learned double entry bookkeeping. The Muslims came up with double entry bookkeeping and they brought it to Florence and introduced what became modern banking, the Bank of Medici, and became this very powerful Italian family. And I just liked it because they introduced this new form of keeping a, a journal and a ledger, changed Western history. Medici land governance is, well, it, the, the thesis five years ago when we started to get into blockchain was there's a new age coming to humanity, riding on blockchain. Let's own investments in the most fundamental processes of the new age. To me, those would be the formation of capital, which really starts with land titling. Because it's once you have rule of law, and you have land, and we say, you own this piece of land, you own this piece of land, you know, so rule of law exists. First thing that comes into that is we title up land. So capital becomes possible through land titling. So you need, then we need money so, a central bank, although we we'd all prefer yeah. a form of money that doesn't need a central yeah, bank, right. gold, but uh, we're not going to you know one how do you get how do you get the public to eat an elephant one bite at a time so central banking, then a capital market, then commerce and supply chains, and then voting so those five layers are the business thesis of of our investment fund called Medici. Let's get in companies that do blockchain meets land governance, blockchain central banking, blockchain Wall Street, blockchain commerce and supply chain, and blockchain voting. And so we went out looking for those investments, and where we couldn't find them, we started them ourselves. T-Zero is an example of the third. We own 80% of that company. Blockchain... Land governance, yes, we are working. We formed a company, Medici Land Governance. It's working with the World Bank. We just announced a, a significant project or a good project in Africa. I can tell you we're very – I think this week we're going to – well, I'm working. I just said goodbye to somebody. I was jetting over to Africa to a different country in Africa because we're hoping to have a significant – an announcement I'm very excited about. Now, I don't want to say significant. Who knows what's material? first. But, I mean, it could change a whole country in Africa. And to be honest, there's a line of countries who want this. What's starting to happen, we heard from one country in the last week, another extremely large, significant country that says, well, to be honest, they're talking ridiculous sums to us. For us to go over, and I'll bring them all five layers. So they could, like this, in the space of a matter of months, jump to that, you know, have the world's most sophisticated land governance the world's most sophisticated central bank, a blockchain central bank where everyone just downloads an app on their phone, and now you've got a monetary system that's better than what we have in the West, a monetary and financial system that's better than blockchain Wall Street. Well, we have that in T-Zero. And we have investments in the two leading blockchain voting companies, which are called Votes. Uh, well, we have a, we have an investment in Votes. There's another great one called Votum.
0: So essentially you're restructuring how the whole government works through blockchain and this country in Africa or these countries will be the test platform to see, you know, and, and show the world how, how well this can work.
1: And the Caribbean. And you know what, they're going to have better systems than we have for 70 years. We've been telling them copy our systems, copy our SEC, copy our Citibank, copy our wall street problems emerge and all kind of the same problems that we've had. And, if they can go to a world, you know, if you have a world where five billion, there's seven and a half billion people on earth, five billion of them don't live in the world as you and I know it, no legal rights, no property rights or anything. If we are successful with the Medici land governance, now five billion people have access, they have trillions of dollars worth of capital. They can start saving it and sharing it with each other through peer to peer lending apps on the phone, And in other words, you can create all the functions of a modern financial system overnight on a laptop and with some free downloadable apps. And you know what? That means that that poor African country doesn't have to build its own Wall Street, doesn't have to build its own Citibank. It can leap to the front. I know this is, I'm talking my own book, but this is just historical, but this is biblical.
0: And then and then the Messiah comes in right there. <laughs> yeah, right there, right? <laughs>
2: he says he's not, but it, it yeah. turns out he is. But <laughs> the bigger reveal, there is this guy, Hernando de Soto, and he's he's talked a lot about this over the years. He says it, you know, it can really help indigenous populations and so on and so forth, and he thinks this is almost the basis of of a society is the ability to say you own this, this is yours. Now, so my question is, what you're doing is not necessarily philanthropic, it's business, but it could potentially fix a lot of these issues that populations that do not have property rights encounter.
1: Yes. I know Hernando. I know him well. Hernando and I have a history. I like, I like Hernando. Hernando is Peruvian and he, he, he's arguably the last guy who beat, the last time the West beat the terrorist movement is when we beat Sendero Luminoso in Peru. And it was really a, a pretty bad you know, movement, people getting scalps and stuff like that. And he convinced Peru to let... Anyway, he's the guy who promulgated these theories 27 years ago. I love the theories. I'm actually... We've, we'd have we like to work with Hernando. We've had a little bit of trouble getting that over the finish line. So we're working with the World Bank now. But uh, there's always room for Hernando and I hope we're able to get... Uh, get that sealed up. But in the meantime, the World Bank has, has opened up all kinds of doors for us. Yeah, Hernando wrote a great book called The Mystery of Capital, which in set 18 years ago, uh, the subtitle was Why Capitalism Worked in the West and Failed Everywhere Else. And what it really comes down to is, you know, his argument is that the United, the United Kingdom and the U.S. and Canada got land titling right. And once you have land titling right, then you have a piece of paper that a guy can take to a bank and say, I want to borrow some money and start a hardware store, and capitalism gets going. But if you're living in some favela in outside of Rio, and you may have been living there for four generations in this hut, and you A, don't know if the local generalissimo is going to show up someday and say... Oh, senor, that was not your land. That was my grandfather's land. So you don't have any incentive to improve it. You don't have a piece of paper that you can take and say, let me borrow $2,000 and start a fruit stand. Capitalism never gets going. It's just in quicksand. And so you have to start with that step. It's kind of funny. Hernando noticed this. It's one of these things that he noticed it and wrote these couple fabulous books. And it's like, you can't believe people had didn't see it until then. It's so obvious once you get it, it all starts there. But somehow, a hundred years of economists had overlooked that simple fact.
2: And so now you noticed it, you're working with it, and we want to say that you know, you're know you working with the World Bank. And if you want to make the announcement right here, right now, on a bit cryptic about any particular country that you're working with, we're not going to say no. <laughs> uh, I, can stop well, you.
1: I would love to. I do have, there's literally a guy on a plane tonight to a different country in Africa to sign an MOU. I will tell you that I had a great conversation just two months ago with the African Development Bank and the the people at the top, and they finished the conversation saying they're wonderful people and uh, saying, we've got uh, 54 countries and 1.2 billion people waiting for you to get on a plane and come over here. And... And implement the stuff you've been talking about. So we have we have people living in Africa now, and there's a number of projects that are going to come our way. There's a number of projects that are, that well, I hope are coming our way. That's what I think, you know, I say it's biblical because the Bible says the, the poor ye shall always have with ye. And I wonder, maybe not. I think we might be able to fix this really quickly to the point I'm maybe getting out of the retail business so I can settle, so I can just focus on that for five years. I think five billion people five years I know this is crazy sounding or narcissistic or megalomaniac to say, I think that for five years, five million people, we can really make a significant change. You know, and it's the beauty is it all comes down to apps and mobile phones. Economists for decades have been lamenting that, the problem of the unbanked, 89% of the world doesn't have a bank account, so they're not tied into anything and they don't get the benefit. Well, everybody has a phone. Turns out everybody has a phone. There's a, Even in poor countries, there's 140% cell phone penetration because people have two. So everybody has a phone. So if you can turn you can take the construction of a whole modern banking and financial and even government systems and reduce it to apps that run blockchain apps that run on phones you can make the help these countries leap you know really leap past us if we don't get you know in terms of the sophistication of their systems
0: what a bizarre world it could be in 10 years and seeing these countries that are have banking systems and title systems and all of that like well beyond our own. I think it would be a, a fantastic and interesting future.
1: From your lips to God's ears.
0: <laughs>
1: I will tell you this, I have a board call in four minutes to get something approved that you'll be reading an announcement about. If in
0: Perfect. So uh, is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't touched on before we close out the call?
1: No, I, but I want to tell you both that I have enjoyed the call and let's do this again sometime.
0: Awesome. would we'll love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Once your lips aren't so sealed, where can people find out more about what you guys are doing and, and uh, reach out?
1: Well, I am Patrick at Overstock. Hey, why don't I do this? I'll make a deal. When is this podcast going to play?
0: A little over a month and a half, maybe.
1: Okay, I'll make a deal. When this plays, if anyone writes me, I'm getting dirty looks from the person who's going to have to do that. <laughs> if anyone wants to write me, Patrick at Overstock.com, I'll give you a free $20 Club O membership. It's worth 20 bucks. You know, It's not curing cancer, but if you want, we'll give you a $20 value. But let's say within 48 hours of this podcast going live, I don't want to be hearing from people years from now, but when this goes live within 48 hours, if you write Patrick at Overstock.com, I'll give you a free Club O. How about that?
2: Ooh, sounds awesome.
0: Amazing. And we, we won't put that in the notes. We'll have to make people listen to the whole thing to get the benefit. But yeah, that sounds great. All right. I want a free clubo. <laughs> All right, Patrick. Thank you so much for coming on. Good luck with your meetings. I know you're busy, guys. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us. It's been super fascinating getting to learn from you what you're doing.
1: Let's do it again in a few months after a few more announcements.
0: Sounds, sounds good. good, Patrick. Okay.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Both. All
0: right. Thank you for listening to a Bit Cryptic podcast. A Bit Cryptic podcast is hosted by Alain Leon, Dang Du, and myself, Jeff Peterson. Show notes are by our editor in chief, Dang Du. Website is by Sammy Toucan and his team at Pack Surge Media. Remember, nothing we say in this show is meant to be financial advice. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you for listening, and remember, keep it cryptic.